Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Okay, Chavar, let's get started. This week's Paisha is Paishat Vayeshev. There is a lot of action in Paishat Vayeshev, a lot to talk about. The focus of tonight's discussion is going to be that things are not always what they seem. Something might look amazing for the greatest intentions, but really it's not so great. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And there's a fascinating series of events here that are related. We'll see two stories in this week's parasha we'll focus in on. One story in Sefer Shoftim, and both will be explained by a Gemara in Mesechet Sota, Bezat Hashem. Let's begin. So the parasha starts off. We need first to just a general introduction as the parasha goes. Yaakov Avinu finally makes his way back to Eretz Canaan, and he settles in Eretz Canaan for a few years until things become challenging again. He has one son who the Psukim and Rashi teach us was far more beloved to him than the other sons. He, he taught him all of his Torah. There was a certain love and affinity he had to Yosef more than the other children. Now, Yosef, Psukim tell us, he was very handsome and he had these dreams and this close connection with his father that the other brothers started to become jealous. They didn't appreciate. To add on to that, he used to report certain negative behaviors that his brothers would do to their father. So they had certain negative feelings towards Yosef. After the dreams that he reports back to them, creating more jealousy, the story goes that he tells, Yaakov tells Yosef to go check on his other brothers who are out in the field somewhere. So he approaches them. Anyways, we know eventually, after all the events, initially they want to kill him. Finally, they agree they'll just throw him in a pit. Then they say they'll sell him. Reuven attempts to save him. He's unsuccessful. Eventually, what ends up happening is Yosef sold off, exchanges hands a couple times, until he finally lands in Mitzrayim, Egypt. And really, this is the beginning of the Galut to Egypt. This really is the, the trigger that makes all the brothers and the entire Jewish population eventually... Parashat Shemot, we'll get to the Galut, the exile. Now, he's sold off to Mitzrayim and he's purchased by somebody whose name is Potiphar. Potiphar. Now, the brothers come back to Yaakov after he was sold off initially and they bring a garment pretending that there's blood on it from him and he says, oh, he's so upset. Yaakov seems to have some suspicion that there was funny business here. It's not clear. But Yaakov is un- inconsolable. He's his beloved Yosef was taken away. Totally inconsolable. Okay. That's where the, part, the, the story ends. And we jump to another story with Yehuda. Okay? Just keep, keep the track of train of thought here. Eventually he's sold to... He, and finishes off with Yosef is sold to Potiphar, who is an officer in Egypt. And then we jump to a story of Yehuda. I'm just going to give the general story here. What's the story with Yehuda? Yehuda, Rashi explains, was lowered because of this, because he was the one who was in charge. He shouldn't have allowed for Yosef to be sold off like that and taken away from his father. So because of that, something happens to him. In a lo- he was lowered and sent away. So he goes and gets married, and he has three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah, three sons that Ye- 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 Yehuda has. 
he marries off his oldest son, Er, to a woman whose name is Tamar. Because Er sins, we know he's Motzi Shechvadzer Levatala. He didn't want to get her pregnant. His son, Er, dies. Okay? Motzi Shechvadzer Levatala. The son of Yehuda, the son of Yehuda, Er. He was killed. Yeah, he was killed. Killed by Hashem. Hashem caused him to die. Er dies. Then we have a concept of Yibum. So there's another son who's alive whose name is Onan. So Onan marries Tamar. All right. Onan does the same story. He also dies. Okay. Same thing. Same issue, apparently. He dies. Yehuda doesn't understand what's going on over here. Yehuda doesn't know what's going on. He, he doesn't realize this Tamar is marrying women, her sons, and they're all dying. What's going so, you know, Sheila should have done Yibum, but uh, Yehuda says, you know what, not such a good idea. Let's not involve, get involved in this situation. Let's leave, leave. So he gives her some sort of a half-baked excuse, and he, he separates from her. However it is. So Kim continue and say, many days go past, and Tamar hears that Yehuda is coming to take care of his sheep, that he's going to travel to take care of his sheep. Now this is the, sh the short story. We're not going to get into all the details. She dresses up the short story, it looks like a prostitute. In the way, Yehuda passes by. Yehuda goes and has relations with her. Okay, three months pass, and after having, before having relations with Yehuda, she barters with him and says, "You have to give me a certain some sheep, but you don't have those with you. So give me some items that I can bring and show you. I'm the woman who had relations with you, and then you'll pay me the sheep that you'll owe me as the payment for the prostitute." Eravon, exactly. Three months pass and she's pregnant. They tell Yehuda, look, your ex-daughter-in-law has uh, become pregnant. She was sleeping around. Yehuda doesn't know it, it was from him. And so he says, she's chayav mita. Okay, interesting, why chayav mita? We're not going to get into that now either. She's liable to be killed. So she's brought out to be killed. Now what does she say at that point? What does Tamar say at that point? The one who gave me these items to hold on to is the one who impregnated me. She didn't say it was you, Yehuda. She said, the one who impregnated me gave me these things. And she gave Yehuda the opportunity to admit on his own. And he does. He took responsibility, saved her life and the two children's lives. And we actually know that those children eventually are the forebearers of Mashiach. Okay, that's story number one. Now we go back to the story of Yosef and Mitzrayim. Because listen to the, the uh, what's the word, the, the juxtaposition of stories over here. These two stories, one next to the other. That's story number one. There's the story, Yehuda's relations with Tamar, she becomes pregnant. Even though it's a strange relationship, the Mepharshim speak out, this might have been an idea of Yibo before Matan Torah. Generally, Mashiach is, a, is, the, is the byproduct of very strange relationships. But this might have been a pseudo Yibum like before Matan Torah. That's when the Mepharshim speak out here. Not time to get into that now. Now we go back to Yosef and Mitzrayim. So we left off with we left off with Yosef. He had been sold off to a fellow whose name was Potiphar. Excellent question. Excellent question. Hold on. That's what we're gonna get to. Yosef is bought by Potiphar. Yosef is again, he's young, he's handsome, he's extremely successful, and Potiphar sees that he's such a great worker, he puts him responsible for his entire household, besides his bread, referring to his wife. So the one thing that he keeps away from Yosef is his wife, but it doesn't really work. Because what ends up happening is, Potiphar's wife desires to be with Yosef. She creates a plot so that she could try to seduce Yosef when no one else is in the house. We know the story. Yosef 
pushes her away, says he's not interested. She turns around and pretends as if he was trying to rape her and gets Yosef thrown in prison where the parasha finishes off with the story with the Sarah Mashkim and Sarah Ofim. We're not going to talk about that now. That's the story. So basically we have here is Yosef sold off, sold off to Mitzrayim. We have the story of Tamar and Yudah. Then we have the story of Yudah, of Yosef and the wife of Potiphar. And then we finish off Yosef's in jail. That's the end of the parasha. Fine. Now, you look at this story of the wife of Potiphar, right? Look at that story. Do you think the wife of Potiphar had good intention or had negative intention? What do you think? Do you look at the story simple pshat? She wanted to have fun with him. She wanted to mess around with him. That's it. That's it. That's it, right? Rashi, he was handsome, he was successful. Chule, makes sense. Eventually, eventually. It's true, but look, her intention. Yosef's right, Yosef's right. You look at it, simple pshat. She just wanted to have relations with the, with the good-looking slave. Looks very negative, very negative. It's negative because she wants to corrupt him. But look at Rashi. Listen to what Rashi says. Rashi comes out of nowhere. Simple pshat. She wanted to... Yosef feeds Esther. How could I do this? I'm sitting against my master, against Hashem. I can't be with you. She wanted to make problems. This is going to create issues. She had negative intention. Comes along Rashi and he asks her question. He says, Why is it that the story of Yudan Tamar is juxtaposed to the story of Yosef and the wife of Potiphar? Why are these two stories put next to each other? This is a fascinating thing. Kedei lismoch. It's a Rashi on Perak Lamented Pasuk Aleph. Ve'od kedei lismoch. He says, in order to put lismoch ma'asei ishto shel Potiphar lema'ase tamar. To put the story of the wife of Potiphar next to the wife, the, the story of tamar. Lomar lecha to tell you ma'zo l'shem shamayim just as tamar had relations with Yudah, pretending to be a prostitute for the sake of Hashem, Af also the wife of Potiphar, attempted to seduce Yosef for the sake of Hashem, because she saw in her astronomy, that in the future she would bear children from him. And she didn't know if it would be from her or if it would be from her daughter. By the way, in the end of the story, who did Yosef end up marrying? Her daughter. Because what ended up happening was when Yosef became the Mishnah Lamelech, when he became second in command, he married the daughter of Potiphar, which was her daughter. So the wife of Potiphar saw in astronomy that she was meant to bear children with Yosef. She didn't know if it would be through her or through her children. So her intent in seducing him was L'shem Shamayim. Therefore, we put the story of the wife of Potiphar and Tamar next to each other to tell us she was just L'shem Shamayim like Tamar was L'shem Shamayim. Okay? So now it changes the entire story. Well, because it looked really bad on her part. Otherwise, it looks really bad that she's trying to seduce her husband comes home. No, but they came home and they saw her there. She's holding his clothing. What's going on over here? 
So she has to turn. After, you didn't look at the parasha. People came home and they saw her holding his clothing. She screams and makes all. Why? Because otherwise she looks like an adulterous wife, which she is, by the way. But what comes out. She was. So hold on. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Let's just focus on topic here. Shoele Inyan. Meshiv Kalacha. So let's just focus. Let's just focus. Let's just focus. So, what emerges is, Rashi is telling us something. If you sim- read the psukim simply, you would not conclude this. You'd say, she just wanted to have relations with a good-looking guy. That's what it was. No. Says Rashi, it puts the story of Tamar next to the story of the wife of Potiphar to tell us, just as Tamar was L'Shem Shamayim, also the wife of Potiphar was L'Shem Shamayim. So now we're looking at it like, oh yeah, she's a great person, right? Even though that's totally not the simple way to read the psukim. Okay? Now, just to clarify before we continue... What do you mean that Tamar was L'Shem Shamayim? What does that even mean? Tamar. Tamar was L'Shem Shamayim. It meant she really wanted, she understood on a very high level <coughs> that she wants Mashiach to come from her. She didn't just stam want to seduce Yehuda. She understood that Mashiach should come from her, so she had relations with Yehuda as a prostitute, whatever. But what, the, what Rashi is telling us is, just as Tamar was totally L'Shem Shamayim seemingly, also Eshet Potiphar was L'Shem Shamayim. Beautiful. Problem is, Rashi himself contradicts this. Listen to Rashi. It's a Rashi a few psukim earlier. Rashi says that when Yosef sold off, a few psukim before, excuse me, later, it says, Yosef was very beautiful when he's in the house of Potiphar. Vayihi Yosef Yefetor, he was very handsome. And Rashi says, Kivan Atzmo Moshel, once he saw that he was starting to succeed, he was now in charge of a whole household, of an officer of Paro, tremendously successful. He started to go back to his old ways of eating and drinking, playing with his hair, taking care of himself. He started to relax and enjoy. Hashem said, Your father is mourning for you because he thinks you're dead. And you're playing with your hair? You're denying, you're totally negating your father's suffering? You're not suffering also? I'm going to cause the bear to lash out against you. Immediately we have the story of the wife of Potiphar. Now what's Rashi saying? She's called a bear. What do you mean she's a bear? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a very negative thing. It's a punishment. You understand? HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw Yosef was taking it easy now. So in order to punish him, how could you be taking it easy, having a good time, when your father is in misery? I'm going to cause someone here, the wife of Potiphar, to cause you all kinds of problems. It's not L'Shem Shamayim. That seems to be a very negative thing. So in Rashi's Pshat, in the storyline itself, seems to be very confusing as to was this something that was a lofty agenda? Or, as you read the simple shot in the story, and as we just said, this was a punishment for Yosef because he was taking it easy when his father was suffering. Was this a negative thing, as Rashi first begins to say? Or li- earlier, sorry, earlier Rashi says that this was L'Shem Shamayim. Which one was it? How do you say two of them? L'Shem Shamayim she, she saw that. Uh, Inner astrology, yeah. No, 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 no. What are you talking about? She thought she saw in her astronomy that Yosef was supposed to have a child through her. Okay, so that's a regular child. 
just a child. Just a child. Okay, so she knows that the child will come, and she says she's going to go for it. Yeah. So that's the Shem Shabbat. Yeah. Now, that's nothing to do with Yosef. Yosef got this whole trouble like a dog. Like she's a bear. Like a, a bear to him, because eventually he's been thrown to jail because of her. So she was the bear for him. That's a bed for him. You're saying it depends on the perspective. That's what you're saying. That's nice. That's nice. It's the perspective. You're saying from her perspective it was L'Shem Shamayim. From his perspective it was a problem. But if it was really L'Shem Shamayim, how can you call her a bear? Bear is like an attacking animal. If she was really... L'Shem Shamayim means for the sake of Hashem. Don't say don't say a dove. You know, say uh, I'm going to give you a challenge. Saying like a dove implies there was nefarious intent. There was negative intention here. I'm going to give you a tsara. I'm going to give you real suffering. How could it be l'shem shamayim and suffering goes hand in hand? It's very difficult. I understand what you're saying. Uh -huh. I agree with you, but I hear what you're saying. You're not saying it's not like. How could it be that something is l'shem shamayim and it causes such suffering? How's that possible? It seems to be very difficult to, to rationalize both together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you go out have to understand. So this story with the wife of Potiphar. There's contradictory implication. Was she L'shem Shamayim? Was she with her own desires, her own intentions to, to cause him problems, like you said, to corrupt him? There's a lot of different ways to look at this. Fine. And there's another fascinating thing that emerges, we find, regarding Tamar. Something fascinating. An amazing halacha that the Gemara in Mesechet Sota teaches us. The Gemara teaches us, and I, I just highlighted it before, but we'll focus in on it now. When she was taken out to be killed, to be burnt. She did not say, Yehuda, you're the one who impregnated me. What did she say? Whoever's the owner of these items is the one who impregnated me. Yeah. Now, it would have been a lot easier for her just to say, Yehuda no, impregnated me. Oh. No, but it would have been a lot easier. No, Straight. She, she wants him to admit. Why did she want him to admit? No. So the Gemara in Masechet Sata, Yudamut 10b, tells us an amazing thing. It says as follows. The Gemara says, uh, one second, in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, a lot of people quote this, but in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, we learn from this story, Noach lo la'adam she'yapil atzmo letoch kivshan ha'esh va'al yabil pnei chavero berabim. It's an unbelievable statement. It's better for a person to fall, to jump into a fiery furnace and not embarrass his friend's face in public. Meaning, that it's more ideal, you die, you jump into the fiery furnace instead of embarrassing somebody. Who do we learn this from? From Tamar. She said, Akirna, she said, please, the one who this belongs to, recognize and admit. She could have done it, and then they would She could have what? Oh, she could have not said, exactly. She gave, he gave, she gave him the, the choice. He, she didn't embarrass him. He took the high road and he admitted. But we learn from this that it's more important for a person, this is what it seems to be saying, to jump into a fiery furnace and not embarrass somebody in public. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Amazing. But now we have to understand something here, which is, what does that really have to do with the story? Meaning the Torah is teaching us that in the context of this story. 
But it just doesn't ha- happen to be random that this event happened to occur in the story of Yudan Tamar. This story of Yudan Tamar is a very unique circumstance. It's a very unique storyline. Within that story, we learn another halacha, which is that it's better to fall into a fiery furnace, not in bed. What does that have to do essentially with the storyline? Obviously, she did that, so we're deriving that from this story. But what does that really connect to the general storyline as well? Or another way to say that is, why does the Torah highlight this within this particular story and not anywhere else in the Torah? Now again, you could say it's just because it occurred here, that's when it happened. But there must be, if this happened to occur and the Torah is highlighting it within the context of this story of Yudan Tamar, there must be a connection between this and the storyline. This idea of not embarrassing somebody as she went to the extreme and her her character, etc., within the context of this story. So what does that really teach us in the context was, of was this it, very strange was, story of Yudan Tamar? Hundred percent. You know where we're going. You see where we're going. Now there's one more example I want to just tell you before we get to the shot. It's a fascinating thing. Excellent. I don't remember if we spoke about this last year. The Gemara tells us in Sota as well, Tetamud Bet 9b, a story of Shimshon. Shimshon Agibor. We know the story of Shimshon. It's in, brought in Sefer Shoftim, Perakidalid. So there's this couple, Manoach and his wife. They couldn't have children. Malach says you're going to have a child called Shimshon. Shimshon. Shimshon Agibor. Long hair. He'll be a powerful warrior and he'll guide the Jewish people and protect them from the Plishtim. So he was a great man. Tamir Chacham, leader and a powerful warrior. So the Plishtim were the ones who were bothering the Jews at that time. And Shimshon was the one who was going to protect them and save them. Now Shimshon took a very unique strategy, unlike other people. Listen to what his strategy was, his fascinating strategy. He wanted to find a pretext in order to kill out the Plishtim without causing them to retaliate against the Jewish people. So what does that mean? He understood if he would just go outright and start fighting against the Jewish people, what would happen? Against against the Plishtim, what would happen? They would take Nikama against the Jewish people. It means Shimshon understood if he goes and he just starts killing Plishtim, what are they going to do? They're going to start bombing Israel. And that's what's going to happen, like the, like the Palestinians today. So what did he do? He came up with a strategy. This was his strategy. He figured out how could I create an illusion or some sort of a reason that they offend me personally? So if they offend me personally, I'm not retaliating on behalf of the Jewish people. I'm retaliating for a personal offense. And if I retaliate for a personal offense, I'll kill out the plishtim. But it'll be done in a way that won't cause them to retaliate against the Jewish people. Everybody understands. That was Shimshon's strategy. Very interesting. I don't know if we find this all the time in, the, in Navi, but this was Shimshon's. So how did he create a personal issue? He went and he married Plishti women. It's a very interesting thing. The best way to create a pretext, <laughs> marry one of their women. And then what ended up happening was they backstabbed him in some way. The wife, the Plishtim in that relationship, in that arrangement, it became personal. And once it's personal... He was allowed to go and kill them out. But it wasn't attacking on behalf of the Jews. It was attacking on his own personal offense. Everybody with me? So the, the, the Psukim tell us, Yehuda, uh, Shimshon saw 
this woman in Timna, a Plishti woman, and he told his father and mother, take that woman for me, I want to marry her because she is appropriate in my eyes. So they said to him, I understand, we have so many Jewish girls, they didn't understand what's going on. So many Jewish girls, why would you go and marry a, a Goya, a non-Jewish woman? Go marry a Jewish girl. So <coughs> he said, that's the one that's Yeshara Be'enai, that's one's fitting in my eyes. And the Psukim tell us, they didn't know Me'ashem Yatsa'adavar, this was something was ordained by Hashem, Hashem okayed it in this context because it was for the saving of the Jewish people. So the Gemara tells us something fascinating. The Mishnah tells us that there was a Midah Keneged Midah. Since she was fitting in his eyes, eventually at the end of the story, Chas Shalom, but what happened is, Shimshon's eyes were poked out, he was punished, and eventually we know what ended up happening, I'll speak about that later, he was killed, he pushed the pillar, everyone died along with him and all the Plishtim. So it was a Midah Keneged Midah. He said, she's fitting in my eyes, this Goya that he married, Timna, and they poked out his eyes in the end. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. Why would that be? He did the right thing. The, the, pasuk, the Gemara tells us, It says it was from Hashem. So why would he be punished later for taking these women if this was actually preordained from Hashem? So Gemara answers, When he went, He went after the straightness in his eyes. Now what does that mean? It means, it's true. He did it There was a plan. But to a degree, says the Gemara, he did it because it made sense to him too. He liked how she looked. It made sense in his eyes as well. Which means there were two factors going on over here. Hashem had a plan. What was Hashem's plan? You'll create a pretext in order to attack them, kill out the Plishtim, wonderful. Then they won't retaliate against the Jews. But Shimshon, when he got involved, he was a Shemshamai. But at the same time, there was an element that it made sense to him. He liked what he saw also. That's what the Gemara says. So because of that, he was punished. Meaning, because he did it, because it made sense to him, because she looked nice to him, there was a certain personal agenda as well, and for that he was punished. Okay. Outside? She was pretty or the inner? She's straight in my eyes. Meaning, he liked how she looked, he liked how she was. L'chaim to Yosef. What? So now, I want to just highlight what we've just done. We have three stories here that seem to include, I want to point this out, it's very interesting. Three different stories that are supposedly L'Shem Shamayim, but at the same time, there is something strange associated with each one. We have the story of Tamar. What's the story of Tamar? She seduces Yehuda like a prostitute, and she's L'shem Shamayim. As a follow-up to that, we have the story of Eshet Potiphar, seduces Yosef, L'shem Shamayim. You missed it, you came late. L'shem Shamayim. But she's called a bear, so there's contradictory elements here. And then we have the story of Shimshon. There was an entire plan in front of Hashem. This is what's going to be. But he followed his eyes. So which one was it? Was it L'shem Shamayim or not? And by the way, just to be clear, we regard Tamar as a tzaddiket, we regard Shimshon as a tzaddik, and we regard the wife of Potiphar as a rishanta bat rishanta, as a wicked woman. Well, what's the difference? What's the di- oh, What's the difference? There's a tremendous lesson to be derived from this, and we'll tie it all back in in a moment.
in life, and we'll attach this back in in a moment, very often we ourselves might not know what our ultimate motivation is, why we're doing something. Meaning we do things. And we might think in our head we're doing something L'Shem Shamayim, for the sake of Hashem. Totally for the sake of Hashem. I'm fulfilling the will of Hashem in this world. We might even think that. We might convince ourselves of that. But deep down, really, it's personal agenda. Deep down, really, we're doing it for some personal reason. Our own ta'avot, our own kavod, our own wealth. Whatever the reasons are, we might convince ourselves that it's L'Shem Shamayim for the sake of heaven. We justify it as L'Shem Shamayim. But deep down, something else could be motivating us in a negative way and really, it's not L'Shem Shamayim. Exactly. What's that? We validate things as L'Shem Shamayim. By the way, in our head, we might even think they're L'Shem Shamayim. Yeah, we might. But deep down, because we're driven by our own base impulses, our own desires, Gava, Kavod, whatever those things are, it's not L'Shem Shamayim. Yosef, you're a tzaddik. You're beyond the scope of this class. Yeah, no, I can't tell you, man. You don't, you don't, exist, in the, you don't exist in the normal realm of things. Can you get any other benefit? No, you're tzaddik. I'm not talking about you. And that, no, 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 of course not. Sushi, sushi. There you go. L'chaim. Chats like this. Oh, yeah? The question is, the question is, how do we know then? How do we know ultimately? How do we know if really what we're doing is L'Shem Shamayim or really what we're doing is for our own desires? This happens all the time in life. Other than, other than Yosef, everyone else who's normal human beings and not at tzaddik on the highest level, we validate things in our heads as being L'Shem Shamayim, altruistic. Yeah, yeah I want to say specific examples. It's not nice. But we do things all the time. We do things. We, we, in our heads, we convince ourselves. And by the way, we might not even realize that we're validating it, that we're justifying. Okay, I'll give an example. I'm giving money at the dinner, and they've announced my name. I'm only doing it because I want to support the institution. But really, you're doing it because uh, you want the kavod when they announce your name on stage. Now, you might in your head not even realize that. You in your head probably think, not you, we in our head might probably think, I'm doing it for the institution because I'm so altruistic. How do we know ultimately if it's L'Shem Shamayim or if it's L'Shem for myself? How do we know ultimately? See, that's true, but there's a lot of times that it's difficult. Even that, how do we know? What do you want to say, yeah? Anonymous, anonymous, there we go. But there's a lot of things that wouldn't necessarily be so easy to determine. Very difficult, very often. How do we know? I'll give you an example. I remember when I was younger, I used to go to the hospital here visiting the sick people with my guitar and I would sing. It was very fun. They enjoyed it very much because these people didn't get, a lot of people, they didn't have a lot of uh, guests, people visiting them. But after a while, I realized, you know, I really enjoy it. Meaning, it's true, I'm doing it. It's really true. Now, one second, one second, one second. Hold on, let me talk. Hold on. So, what do you say? So, <laughs> so we said, <laughs> just learned this Mishnah. So, I, after a while, I realized it's true, it's a mitzvah because it makes sick people happy, whatever, but I also enjoy it. So, I, I, in my own head, I started to argue with myself is that L'Shem Shemayim? Is it not L'Shem Shemayim? Now, by the way, I want to point out, Yosef's probably right. 
which is if we're doing a mitzvah and we enjoy the mitzvah we're doing, that could still be that could still be lishen. But let's say it wasn't. Let's say it it wasn't even a mitzvah. I would still do it. <laughs> the point is, sometimes you enjoy doing something. You have a personal enjoyment in something. It's not necessarily for the sake of Hashem. You have a personal enjoyment. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a very simple example. But very often we're driven by different reasons. That's what I'm just pointing out. There's different things that drive us. When you already get the sweetness of the Torah and you enjoy from doing a mitzvot. It's true, it's true. You went up in your level, but the understanding of, like, you know, like Rabbi mentioned, I think, that you're just doing a mitzvah, and it's 100% Hashem Shammai. When you give a donation, you give a donation because you give a donation for your own, for yourself. Well, well, well hopefully not you, but some people might. Well, no, some people so you're might. Giving you're, you're, you're giving maaser. You're giving maaser. I'm giving maaser. So listen to this. Very simple. Very simple. Look at these stories. Let's look through the stories. How do we know Tamar was Lashem Shamayim? How do we know Tamar was Lashem Shamayim? I'll tell you how we know. Because she couldn't have kids with Anna. How do we know? You missed it. Listen. How do we know Tamar was Lashem Shamayim? David already pointed this out. The way we know Tamar was Lashem Shamayim is because we know for sure she only did it for the sake of Hashem so Mashiach could come through her. Totally Lashem Shamayim, not for herself. How do I know that? She was willing to die. She was willing to die. She said, look, if I have to die to save the embarrassment of Yehuda, I'm going to die. Is that, and there's nothing at all personal. She didn't want to have relations with Yehuda for any other reason other than she understood Mashiach was supposed to come through her. Now, if it's going to embarrass him, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to say anything. The end result, the end story shows us that the beginning of the story, she was totally L'Shem Shamayim. Because if she wasn't and it was for a personal reason, she wouldn't care to embarrass Yehuda. The outcome of the story, that's why it highlights that at the end. It's not just random. We learn this random halakha that it's better to fall into fire than to embarrass somebody. That's what shows us that she was completely L'Shem Shamayim. Now let's go shift over for a second. Regarding Eshed Potifar. The wife of Potiphar, what does the end of the story show us? Was she really totally L'Shem Shamayim? Well, if she was, she wouldn't turn the story on its head uh, um, and put accusing him of trying to rape her and then again getting him thrown in jail. The fact that she goes and turns around at him and gets him thrown in jail for a crime that he never committed showed it was personal agenda. Now that it doesn't work out for her personally, she doesn't care about him and she throws him in prison. The end of the story shows us that what looked to be L'Shem Shamayim there ultimately was completely for her own reason. Again, she validated it in her mind. In my astrology, it looks like he's supposed to have a kid with me. But what drove her? What drove her was personal agenda. Bahara, you look at the end of the story, and in the end, she turned it around for her personal reasons. And now let's shift over to Shimshon. Shimshon Agibor. It's true. The Gemara tells us there was a little bit of a lacking. However, you understand that. By the end of the story, what did he do? How did he die? We know the end of the story with you with Shimshon. They had. Right? What's the last one of the song that they sing? Uh, um, one eye. What's what's the story? The song. The Israelis sing it. Ah, I can't remember it now. No, no, no. Okay, whatever. In the end of this day, the, how he died was they had, they had cut his hair, they captured him, and he was weak, and he, they, they propped him up against two pillars with plishtim all around partying and essentially celebrating the fact that they captured the warrior of the Jewish people. He davened to Hashem, give me the strength one more time that I used to have, 
He pushed the pillars, causing the entire structure to collapse, killing all these Sonei Yisraelis, enemies of the Jews, these Plishtim, along with himself. That's somebody who's completely selfless. Completely selfless. He was willing to die, a total, totally, just to kill those people that were mocking Hashem and hurting the Jewish people. Well, he wasn't necessarily dying. Is that allowed? Yeah. Good question. Good questions, good questions. But the point is, from the end of the story, it becomes very clear, the entire time along the way, L'Shem Shamaya. Now, look back at us. Whenever we do things, right? I'll give you a very good example. When I go to shul, and people are looking, so I pray with all kinds of kavanah. Shakul, and I'm davening. I'm not talking about you again. Other people, Right? I know you're about to ask me. You don't, you don't do it. You do the tzaddik. And I mean, and I mean that really. People around it. People around up giving tzedakah. What about when I'm home and I can't go to shul? Do I daven with the same? Do I daven? Do I daven with the same intensity? Do I give tzedakah? Do I put on the tzitzit? Do I wear my tefillin? Do I do all of the things that I would do otherwise when nobody's looking? I think you do. Well, look. More. Well, look. Well, look. What I'm, telling, what I'm telling you is. If the answer is no, okay, we're human, it's okay, but at the same time that shows, maybe we're not doing it necessarily, l'shem shamayim, because in front of people, it gives me kavod, it looks good, socially acceptable, etc. There's benefits of doing it there, but maybe it's personal agenda. Okay, it's okay. We have what to work on, but the point is, is that we could determine on our own, is what I'm doing, the mitzvah that I'm doing, the Torah that I'm learning, Right? When my head's hurting me, do I still go and learn a little bit? Just a little bit, because I have to learn Torah every day. Do I? Hopefully we do. But the point is, when there's a little bit of a lack of the personal enjoyment that I usually get, in terms of my personal agenda, do I just give it up or I continue to do it? If I continue to do it, so that shows in general, it's L'Shem Shamayim, it's for the sake of heaven. And if not, we have what to work on, that's fine. But that's what these stories really highlight for us. The stories teach us is that there are three instances where it could be L'Shem Shamayim, could be personal agenda. From the outcome of these stories, we determine whether it was or not. So whereas Shimshon and Tamar, they were purely L'Shem Shamayim, totally. There was an element maybe that was something strange or difficult, but ultimately they were driven for the sake of Hashem. Whereas the wife of Potiphar, the fact that afterwards she turned it all against Yosef and she had such a negative perspective showed she justified it as being L'Shem Shamayim, but ultimately it was for her own desires, for her own motivation. Because she wanted to have uh, descendants from Yaakov? Uh, Rashi, Rashi tells us. Anyways, we'll stop here. Just one second, I'll tell you in a second. We'll stop here, Hevra. Just uh, stop here, everyone. Shabbat Shalom.